So we are continuing with our Rebuild series, our foundational series today. As most of you know, we're doing a series currently over the next, the previous and the future few weeks and months. Um, and today I'm going to be looking at a biblical view of worship. Turn to your neighbor and say, a biblical view of worship. Biblical view of worship. And I really believe, I mean, this is really close to my heart, but I really believe this is so important for us as Christians, especially as charismaniacs. Um, that many of us are. It's important to understand how God views worship. Um, the last thing that I want to do is come to church on a Sunday morning and I'm playing church and it's a religious game. So my life out there and my life here don't match up. So what I do out there is separate from what I come and do here. I never want it to be a religious game. I want to live my life in accordance with the word of God and everything must be congruous. How I live my life during the week and how I, how I am on Sunday. Amen. It's important, and that's kind of like we'll get there as we look at a biblical view of worship. And what I just want to mention before I start looking at the principles of worship from a, a biblical perspective is the first time in the Bible that we see the concept of worship mentioned, um, the concept of worship, not the Hebrew word for worship, but the concept of worship is when Abraham says to his servants, you guys stay here. My young boy Isaac and I will go yonder and worship. And he goes yonder, he goes up to the mountain and he offers his son on the mountain as a sacrifice to God. And we know what happens, but that is the first time the concept of worship is mentioned. And it's very critical that we understand that because worship is so much more than singing songs. Worship is so much more than having a good voice or being able to play instruments. Worship is a much bigger thing. Otherwise, why would God say, all of you must be worshipers, but I'm only giving a few people an ear that can hear music. I'm only giving a few people a good voice. I'm only giving a few people um, skill in terms of being involved in band, but he demands all of us be worshipers. Why would he do that? So it's important that we understand when Abraham went to sacrifice Isaac, Isaac embodied everything of of his hopes embodied about 25 years of his life when he'd been waiting on the promise of God for the fulfillment of God's promise. Isaac was that fulfillment. Isaac was the seed through which God's promise over his life was going to be fulfilled in terms of giving him as many descendants as there are stars in the heaven and sand on the seashore. So Isaac represented so much more than just an act of worship. Isaac represented his life, and that for me is a great picture of what worship is about. Worship is about bringing our lives and offering our lives before God. And worship is about my worship and who I am. It may look different in some aspects to your worship and who you are. Because how God wired me and the gifts that he gave me are different to how he's wired you and the gifts that he's given you. Amen. So when you live out your act, your lifestyle of worship, it's going to look, may look a bit different in certain instances. But the Bible uses many different terms to convey the idea of worship and many different terms that are translated as worship in the Hebrew and in the Greek. And to get a definition of worship for us to start from, um, we're going to look at two Hebrew terms and two Greek terms. And the Hebrew and Greek term that I'm going to start with is, and, and please forgive my pronunciation, I don't know. It's shokor, which is the Hebrew, and proskuneo, which is the Greek. And these two terms have a sense of bowing down and prostrating oneself. Bowing down, laying ourselves down before someone mighty and awesome. And that's not just a physical laying down, but it's it's a picture of how we should live our life, okay? The second set of terms, I'm not even going to try and say them, they basically mean to serve, such as a slave serving a master. So worship, a slave serving a master, it gives an interesting sort of picture. So out of those two, we can come up with a defini definition of worship like this. Worship is bowing all that we are before all that God is. Worship is bowing all that we are before all that God is. And if we think about that, it means that as I go out in my daily life, when I'm at work, when I'm um, helping my kids with their homework, when I'm cooking in the kitchen, 
when I'm relating to my husband, when I'm relating to people, other mothers at school, when I'm relating to other people, when I come here on Sundays, worship is bowing all that I am before all that God is, submitting myself before him. We can apply it to all of life, can't we? Can't we? And that's important in terms of worship. I love, there's a gentleman called uh, William Temple, and he defines worship like this. Worship is the submission of all of our nature to God. It is the quickening of the conscience by his holiness, the nourishment of mind with his truth, the purifying of imagination by his beauty, the opening of the heart to his love, the surrender of will to his purpose. All this gathered up in adoration is the most selfless thing of which our nature is capable of. This is worship. This is worship. I love this part, the surrender of will to his purpose. Because you know in the Bible, in the Old Testament, the Lord says, For I desire obedience above sacrifice and to heed than the fat of lambs. So God desires obedience before we come and worship. So if my life during the week does not represent and reflect God's values, and I come to worship on Sunday, and it's not the truth of how I'm living, that's not true worship. Amen. Okay, so before I get going, I'm going to cover about nine principles of worship. Um, before I get going on those principles, I'm just wanting to look at two misconceptions about worship, and I've kind of touched on them. Um, the first misconception is that worship, we seem to think that worship is singing, Worship is singing, and we call music CDs or albums that we buy on iTunes or whatever worship. And Desire, who's leading the, the, the vocals this morning, what do we call him? The lead worshiper or the worship leader. And it gives us a misconception about worship because worship is not just singing. Worship is not about song. Song is a part of worship. It's one of the aspects of worship, but it's not the entirety of worship, okay? The second misconception is that um, worship is what we do when we gather together on special occasions. So worship is the Sunday service. That's worship. Worship is offering, the giving of offering and the singing of worship songs and praise songs and the listening to the word and the preaching of the word. And, and it only happens on Sunday. That's also a misconception. Though these things form part of worship, but it's not worship in its entirety. And so today we're going to look at what a biblical view of worship is. It's not a set of activities limited to one place or one time or a few people, okay? It's for all of us and it's for all of life, okay? Principles of worship. The first principle that I'm wanting us to look at is that worship must involve revelation and response. Worship involves revelation and response. Worship is grounded in relationship, it's grounded in my relationship with the Lord. It involves hearing. It involves seeing, sensing some revelation from God, a word I've been meditating on. Some, maybe it's the, the words of the song, the songs that we're singing about God's love, and we're meditating on that, and we respond to that. Or it's what God is revealing to our hearts. Yes, corporately, but also in our daily walk. It involves revelation and response. It's like a divine dance. If I just come to church and I don't have a relationship with God, I'm not hearing Him, I'm not seeing Him, my worship becomes quite empty, right? It's just a, a religious thing. I'm singing songs, the words sound great, I just want to get through the whole routine and get home and eat something, okay? But that's not what worship is. Worship involves revelation and response. God initiates worship and we, the worship experience, and we respond to what he reveals about himself. The first scripture that I'm wanting us to look at in terms of this is Deuteronomy 6, verse 4 to 5. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength, your entire being. So the revelation there is, hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. The Lord is God. There's no other God than Him. He is God. You're not God. He is God. He sits on the throne of your life, or we should, okay? He alone is God. Now worship Him with everything that you have. There's the revelation and the response that we are that is appropriate for that. We also see it in the New Testament when we look in Romans. Romans chapter 1 to, to Romans chapter 11. Um, the Apostle Paul is 
unpacking the mercies of God as seen in the gospel of Christ. So he spends 11 chapters unpacking the gospel of Jesus and saying, this is the mercy of God. And then he says in Romans 12, verse 1 to do to 2, after these 11 chapters where he's been explaining the mercies of God, he says, therefore I urge you by the mercies of God to present your bodies, dedicating all of yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and well-pleasing, which is your intelligent rational act of worship saying because of this revelation that you now have concerning the mercies of God now offer your bodies as a living sacrifice to God revelation and response and I find it interesting there if you go and you unpack Romans 12 verse 1 to 2 a little bit more it says present your bodies dedicating all of yourselves as a living sacrifice all of yourselves. Just think on that a little bit. All of yourselves. That means I must dedicate my feet and where my feet take me. May they not take me where you wouldn't want me to go. I must dedicate my hands to him. What I do with my hands. What I do with them is as worship unto God. May I not do anything with them that doesn't glorify him. My eyes, what I allow to go in. What am I looking at? What am I looking at where no one else is looking at me? On my computer. What am I listening to? What am I allowing to go in my ear gate? Present your bodies, all of yourself, set apart as a living sacrifice. This means that when I go to work and I do what I'm doing, I can't separate it from worship. My work is worship. What I do is worship. I have to do my business and, and have principles that line up with the word of God because I'm dedicating all of myself as a living sacrifice. Amen. And it says here, and do not be conformed to this world. So he's expounding, he's explaining how we can dedicate all of ourselves to him in our reasonable act of worship. Do not be conformed to this world with its superficial values and customs, but be transformed and progressively changed by the renewing of your mind, focusing on godly values and ethics. That you may prove for yourselves what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect in his plan and purpose for you. So worship in God's mind is a whole nother ball game to how some of us, I think, perceive worship. Okay. Another example of the whole revelation and response um, picture in scripture is from Isaiah 1. When Isaiah has this revelation, I'm not, I'm not going to go to those scriptures, they're in the notes. By the way, all these notes are available on the, inter, on the website. You can download them after the service. All the scriptures, and there's extra stuff in there too that I'm not covering today, um, so you can use them in discussion in your go groups. But if you look at Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 1, he has this, um, in a, at the beginning of the book of Isaiah, he has this revelation of the holiness of God. And he says, woe is me, for I am ruined. I am a man undone. He realizes his own sinfulness and hopelessness in view of God's mercy. So that's his response. And then God says, basically, you know, he cleanses his lips. So he has a revelation of God's mercy and cleansing his lips. And then he responds again, and he says, God, send me. So in that whole encounter between God and Isaiah, um, God is giving Isaiah revelation and, and Isaiah is responding and then he gives him a revelation and Isaiah responds again revelation and response okay so it's important that we trust God for revelation for ourselves in our worship in our daily worship as we come to church we want to hear from God for ourselves and respond to that so the first principle what's the first principle Worship involves revelation and response, okay? The second one is worship is something we do individually. It's also something we do in community. So we can speak of worship in terms of individuals worshiping, but also in terms of communities worshiping. We can speak of it something that we do habitually as an ongoing lifestyle, Monday through Saturday. We also can speak of it something uh, where we do it as intentional acts of worship on Sunday. And worship includes all of those things. So when I come to church on a Sunday and I worship, or I come to Ignite on a Friday night, that, technically speaking, should be an overflow of my lifestyle of worship of what I'm doing Monday through Saturday. If that is an overflow of my lifestyle of worship, what power will be here on a Sunday morning? What power will be here? I remember being involved in band, and you could feel it. You come here at half past seven. I don't know. Maybe it's changed. Pastor Stuart, you can tell me if it's changed. But you come here at half past seven. You're praying. You're practicing. You're worshiping. And you can feel you breaking through somewhere. And then people start arriving, and it's like you go, 
back to the start again. And it's like everyone ramps themselves up. And maybe by the fourth song, you're all in the same place and you're now entering in. But it's taken most people three and a half songs to come to that place of focusing on God. And worship, we want to do it together. But if we're all worshiping at home, we're all connecting with God, we come in prepared. How much more power will be released here? Worship is not a spectator sport. I'm going to look at that a bit later. And when we all go together, such power is released. There's unity. It's really powerful. So it has to be a lifestyle. It's ongoing. And when, when I come on Sunday, it's just an overflow because I'm already there. Amen. Are you all with me? Okay. So I want to ask you a question. What do you think God values more, our lifestyle commitment to worship or our specific worship acts? That we do. So does he, does he value more your, your lifestyle of worship Monday through, through Friday, Saturday? Or does he value more when we come together on Sundays? What do you think? If we look at our lives and we look how most people live, most Christians, we would imagine that God values our Sunday services more, wouldn't we? Because most people put more weight on Sunday services than they do on their lifestyle. But if I go back to Scripture, and for me, I always like going back to Scripture, and I encourage you to do the same. Always search out things in Scripture, even what I'm saying today. Search it for yourself in Scripture. Although both are important, so both are important. But if we look in Scripture, we see that when people's lives were not lining up, when there wasn't a lifestyle of worship Monday through Saturday, God didn't accept their worship when they came together as a community because he was saying to them, this is hypocritical worship. That's what God was saying. Okay, So although both are important, it seems from Scripture that God values a lifestyle commitment to worship more than he values intentional worship acts when we gather together. Both are important. Please don't get me wrong. Please don't go out from here and say, yeah, well, she said that, the pre- uh, Pastor Trey said that you know, we don't have to gather together on Sundays because God doesn't value that. No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that both are important, but one informs the other. And if we don't have a lifestyle of worship, our Sunday meetings and gatherings will not, will maybe a stench in his nostril, okay, according to, to what the Bible says. The first um, example that I'm wanting to look at is Isaiah 1 verse 10 to 18. And I'm going to skim through some of this. So as I said, these, are, these scriptures are all in the notes. But for time's sake, I'm going to just pick out the points that I want. So the Lord is speaking to um, the rulers of Sodom and he says, What are your multiplied sacrifices to me without your repentance? I've had enough of your burnt offerings and the fat of well-fed cattle without your obedience. I take no pleasure in these offerings without repentance. When you come before me, do not bring worthless offerings. Your incense is repulsive to me. I cannot endure wickedness, your sin, your injustice, your wrongdoing, and the squalor of the festive assembly. These things have become a burden to me. I'm weary of bearing them. So when you spread out your hands in prayer, pleading for my help, I will hide my eyes for you. Though you offer many prayers, I'll not be listening. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Get your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing evil. Learn to do good. And listen to this. Seek justice. Rebuke the ruthless. Defend the fatherless. Plead for the rights of the widow in court. And he continues. So he's saying, your lifestyle doesn't match up with with what you're bringing to me. Okay? And it grieved his heart. He rebuked his people for their hypocrisy. So when our worship acts on Sundays or in corporate meetings don't line up with our daily lives, there's there's a grieving that happens in God's heart because he can see. Amen. Okay. So in this particular case, God called for a lifestyle of justice and mercy first. Only then would he enjoy their acts of worship. Now, as I'm reading this, I want us to reflect on our lives. And none of us are perfect. Even as I teach this, I also know for me there are things that I can glean from this. So I don't want you to think, yeah, 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 that person. Yeah, 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 my husband or my wife or my kids or this person sitting next to me. Think about yourself and say, Lord, how do you want to speak to me? Okay, Amos 5 verse 21 to 24 is another example. The Lord says a similar thing. He says, I despise and reject your feasts. I don't take delight in your assemblies. Even though you offer me your offerings, I will not accept them. I will not even look at your peace offerings. 
Take the noise of your songs away from me. They're an irritation. I shall not even listen to them. Let justice run down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream, flowing abundantly. So God doesn't want to accept their offerings. Why doesn't he want to accept? He doesn't want to listen to their music. Why? Because he doesn't see in them a heart after justice and righteousness. He doesn't see it reflected in their daily lives. Okay. Micah 6, the last, last scripture I'm going to look at for this, this principle. Micah 6, verse 6 to 8. With what shall I come before the Lord to honor him and bow myself before God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings? Will the Lord be delighted with thousands of rams or thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I present my firstborn for my acts of rebellion, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? But to be just, to love, to diligently practice kindness and compassion, and to walk humbly with your God, setting aside any overblown sense of importance or self-righteousness. You see, these are things that we don't see on a Sunday. You can't see that on a Sunday when you come to worship. But God sees as I live out my life, Monday through Saturday, how I speak to my kids, how I speak to my husband, how I conduct the, my affairs. And so if we really want God to, if we want his presence like we were singing, if we're wanting the miracles, if we're wanting these things, our lives need to line up with the word of God every day of the week, not just for two hours on a Sunday when we walk in and smile at everyone and, and we dressed really nicely. Amen. Okay. Yeah, so, God, so basically Micah asks how a true worshiper should approach God. And he concludes that God is not looking for external formal worship primarily, but God wants us to treat our neighbors with justice, to walk in mercy, to walk humbly with our God, to walk in obedience, basically. That's what it is. Okay. And then our intentional acts of worship. Then God receives our worship when we come together corporately. You see, our acts of worship are just outward tokens of a deeper inner inward reality that's happening. It has to be an outward manifestation of what's happening. It doesn't work out to in, Sunday to the rest of the week. It works the rest of the week to Sunday, the inwards to outside. Okay. Principle number four, individual worship and congregational worship must inform and strengthen one another. This is a similar thing that I'm saying. They inform and strengthen one another. When I walk through that door on a, on a Sunday morning, I don't suddenly become a worshiper. Okay? When you walk through that door, you don't become a worshiper. We worshipers through the week. When the band walks through that door, they don't suddenly become worshipers. I hope that they worshipers during the week. Amen. Then when we gather to express our love for the Lord, when we worship, when we sing songs, when we take up offerings, it's something, something beautiful happens because it's a reflection of where our hearts are at. Okay. And then strengthen each other. Number five, corporate worship requires participation. <laughs> it's not a spectator sport. Okay. It requires participation. I want you to imagine yourself. You are leading the, the, the songs on a Sunday morning, and I am the congregation, okay? And I'm singing, what's a good, Malibongwe. And, I'm, and this is the whole congregation. Okay, first of all, how do you think the, word, the band feels? They're not even going to look at you, they're going to look up, because it's, it's intimidating. But second of all, it's not a spectator sport. I think sometimes churches are, are treated like fast food restaurants. We pick a church based on what ministers to me, what, what songs I like, what, what messages tickle my ears, you know, how I feel. You know, how I feel. Does the worship minister to me? Are they my songs? Does the preacher preach the way that I like? Do, are the people friendly to me? It's all about me and my and what I want and, you know. But, but that's not necessarily what it should be. It's, a, it's, a, it's, it's not a spectator sport. I don't, we don't come in here and we come to watch a concert put on by the band. And then we judge it. Was it good? Was it not good? Were they singing okay? Not mm, okay. How do they flow? And then it goes on, and then they're offering, uh, there's an offering message, and, and we might pay for watching the concert if we feel like it, it was good enough. And then the preacher preaches, and we, we're watching it like it's some type of motivational talk. No, it's not meant to be like that. It requires participation. It's not about a professional performance. In the Old Testament, 
uh, participation. It was that was what happened. So a nice uh, an example of this that I have here is from Nehemiah eight verse one to eleven. And it's like the people gathered together and Ezra came. I'm not going to read the scriptures at long. You can read. It's in the notes. But they came together and Ezra brought the book of the law, law of Moses. And he started to read it. And it says the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And then as Ezra stood up to dispense what he was dispensing, the people all stood up in reverence and honor. And then the people shouted out, Amen, Amen. They were responding to the word. And then they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. They were responding to things that they were hearing. And then other people, uh, other scribes and so forth, Levites, unpacked the word and the people understood the reading and the people wept in response because they saw their lives in response to what was being read. And then at the end of all of it, the people went their way, they were celebrating. So there was a whole participation, revelation response that we see here. It wasn't what we see in many churches where people come in, they endure the worship, they might put a, a bit of offering in if they think it was good enough, they get their motivation boost for the week and then they go, no, it's not meant to be like that. It's all of us worshiping together, okay. In 1 Corinthians 14, verse 26, it says, How is it then, brethren, whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, a teaching, a tongue, a revelation, an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. So this is when they come together. Who did Paul expect to participate when the church gathered? Everybody. What was their goal of their participation? Mutual edification. But not all of you can come here and preach a message. There'll be pandemonium. We'll be here all day. Amen. But it's, it's like each of you has something. You have a gift. Come in. Say, Lord, who can I encourage today? Who can I bless today? Who needs a hug today? Maybe God will give you a word for someone. Maybe God will show you someone and you just give them a ring later and say, how are you doing? You looked a bit, a bit downhearted at church today. See, church is not meant to be a consumer uh, thing, activity where we come and we consume, we consume, we consume, and then we go. Church is not, a, it's about mutual edification. Paul is saying, yeah, everybody has something. Everyone has a gift. Use your gifts to edify each other. Amen. Participatory, when it's worship, we participate. No, it might not be your favorite song, but that's okay. It's not for you. It's actually for God. Amen. Okay. But I'm preaching to the choir. You guys are all fine, right? <laughs> Okay, number six, worship involves the participation of our entire being. This is an interesting one if you explore it and you think about it. Worship that engages only one part of our being is, is inadequate. It should involve all of our being. And, and I've seen this sometimes in our worship. I think we as a church have become accustomed to singing songs that are just a few lines and we repeat them and we engage our emotions and we're good at that. We're well practiced at that. But you know what? Worship is also meant to engage our minds. So we have songs that are doctrinally and theologically rich and we have to focus we can't go into that space where we close our eyes and we're meditating and we're feeling God that's important but the other one where we engage our minds and we think about what we what we're singing and we have to look at the words and understand and and we're meditating on those words and who God are that's also important we have to be able to engage our minds and we have to be able to engage our whole bodies and I'm going to look at that at the end of this message where New Testament worship is actually actually of the Davidic order of worship, which involves using my whole body, my arms and my body and clapping and, and every part of me. Amen. But it must involve our entire being. Okay. Some churches, worship can be very emotional. There's nothing wrong with that. Some churches uh, focus specifically on the mind and their worship is very intellectual. You see the songs are very, that's, there's nothing wrong with that. There's not, no one that is better than the other. And even for us as people, we'll have a preference and that's okay, but we must be able to do it all. Some churches focus on service as worship. So they'll be very active in the community, serving, doing stuff for maybe homeless people and so forth, running projects out there. That's also worship. There's nothing wrong with that, but we have to do it in its entirety. All of it together is valid worship. Okay, must include all of it. I love what Mark 12, 30 verse, uh, Mark 12 verse 30 to 31 says. It says, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Wow. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second like it is, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
These are great, the greatest commandments. Psalm 103 verse 1 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. So our whole beings need to engage in worshiping God. We should express worship with our whole bodies, kneeling, clapping, shouting, raising our hands, as we feel like it's a true expression to God. And I'll look at that a little bit more at the end. Principle number seven, the substance of our worship is more important than the style or form of our worship. The substance, God is all about heart people. Isn't that great? It's great, but it's also scary. So the substance of our worship is more important than the style or form. God is always more interested in the heart of the worshiper than the style or form of our acts of worship. You see, it's so sad that in churches we become divided over this. No, you must use a hymnal. No, you must use overheads. It's more, it's progressive. No, you can't use an electric guitar and drums. That's far too noisy. No, you must use an organ. No, this, no, that. That's, that's personal preference. Okay, for God, that's neither here nor there. Whether we use an organ, a guitar, whether it's loud, whether it's soft, whether it's contemplative and um, quiet, expressive and jubilant, these are outward manifestations. And, and God is about substance more than style. Okay? And the thing about style is that what is in style this, this decade, next decade, we will have moved on to something else. God didn't move on. God stays the same. It's us. Okay? So... The substance is more important than the style. The heart is more important than the expression, okay? The form that we prefer, whether it's contemporary, conservative, traditional, liturgical, it's a secondary consideration. God is after our hearts. It's like, are you living a lifestyle of worship? Then worship me with all, of, all that you are. Amen. Okay. Principle eight. When we worship as a community, we're participating in something larger, than ourselves. Okay, worship is not primarily about me. It's not primarily, I'm talking about corporate worship. When I come to worship on a Sunday, it's not about me. It's not about how I feel, my experience of God. When we come together to worship, we must discern the Lord's body. It's a corporate experience. Okay, so how this will work out, for instance, um, Okay, let me, let, me, let me say this first. You know how sometimes we can come into a corporate gathering and it's worship, and you see all of us, we close our eyes, and we go into this space, and it's like a personal quiet time with me and God in the middle of a room full of everybody else also having a personal quiet time. You know, but it's not meant to be like that. I have my quiet times at home. When we come here, it's a corporate act of worship. And we see this even in songs that are written, in, even in some of the songs that we sing. We have to watch the words of the songs. It's not about I, you know. It's not about I this and I that. It's about we. It's about us. You know, look at someone. Smile. Smile at someone. It's a corporate act of worship. We're doing it together. We're going there together. We're enjoying it together. We're enjoying His presence together. We can also enjoy each other. We can also love each other together. That's corporate worship, okay? Think about the songs we sing. Um, I thank you. I need you. I, I, I. It should be we. Amen. And another thing about song, songs, that we, songs that we sing, we need to remember, even in our personal lives of worship, you know, sometimes we call all songs to God worship songs and pray songs, but there's a difference, okay? I love what Desire said this morning with that one song that we sang. He said, this is the de declarative song, and that's what it was. It wasn't praise. It wasn't worship. It was a declarative song, okay? Even that song about joy wasn't praise. It wasn't worship. It was more of a declarative song. Praise is about God. So when we come and we praise, it must be Jesus-oriented. It's like, Lord, you are, and I'm focused on who he is and how great he is. He's awesome. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the great I am. He's the Lord of hosts. He's the King of kings. I'm focusing on Jesus. If I'm now singing songs, Lord, I thank you that I am chosen. I am loved. I am accepted. I have a hope. I, um, you are my friend. My heart is, is, is feeling good. Me, my, my. Is that worship? Who is that about? It's about me, 
okay? Worship and praise is not about me, it's about God. So we also have to think about the songs that we sing. And if we're going to sing, if we're going to have ministry songs, whether here or in our time, personal times of worship, that's great, but call them what they are. I am loved. I feel the love of God. That's ministry to me, okay? So we need to think about all these things when we are doing worship. Now, I mentioned a little bit earlier, I said we have to discern the body when we come together um, and worship as a community. And that's taken from 1 Corinthians 11, verse 29. And um, basically, we see here in 1 Corinthians 11 that the Corinthian church was meeting and celebrating the Lord's Supper. But the way that they were doing it, they were doing it in a way that dishonored God and that brought division to the body because the guy who was hosting the meetings was a wealthy gentleman and he had favorites like it seems like the wealthier people met and ate, and then the rest of the church came. And the Lord was basically saying to them, what you are doing is not good. It's bringing division to the body. You need to discern the body. So no favorites. There's no divisions, okay? When people come in, we're all the body of Christ. And discern the body. It's also, if we are in a church where predominantly people speak Afrikaans, you know what? It's going to have to be reflected in the songs we sing. Amen. Okay, it's not the case here. If we're in a church where predominantly they're old people or young people or children, we have to discern the body. We can't insist that it's my will and my preferences that, that are most important and that happen. It's discerning the body, giving preference to one another, discerning the body out of reverence to Christ. We're not just a collection of individuals to do the same things in the room. We're the gathering of a body. Okay, we need to give preference to one another. Okay. Principle number nine, when we worship as a concern, as a community, our concern for individual freedom and self-expression, this is where I was going, must be balanced with the need to prefer one another in love, to consider others more important than yourself. Philippians 2 verse 1 to 4 says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship with the Spirit, any tenderness and compassion, make my joy, by, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. Each of you should not look out for your own interests, but also the interests of others. So when we gather, it's not about what my preferences are. It's not about what I prefer. It's about the body. It's about all of us going somewhere. Amen. It's not about what is most meaningful and fulfilling to me. It's about all of us. When I come on a Sunday, I'm not coming to get my personal needs met. When I come on a Sunday and I'm there, I'm like, Lord, what are you saying to your people? How do you want to bless your people? How do you want to minister to your people? Lord, is there something in particular, something you want to say, some breakthrough you want to give? Lord, where are you flowing? What do you want to do? And I know that as we worship him, even though worship is primarily about him and it's about worshiping him because of how he is, he'll want to bless his people. Oh, that all of us had that attitude when we came to church. Lord, I'm coming. Is there someone I can encourage? Lord, is there someone I can bless? Is there someone you want to show me that I can really strengthen? Is there someone I can bless? Maybe someone just needs 10 rand and you just bless them. You know, Lord, if we came with that attitude, the church would be such a, so powerful and such a precious thing, such a precious place to be. Amen. Okay. Just uh, prefer one another in love. And we also have to use this when we acknowledge worship needs of different people, you know, different needs in the body of Christ. We can be gracious. We can be kind. Um, church is not about shopping for a place that meets my needs. It's saying, Lord, where do you want me? I'm going to go there. I'm going to be a part of that worship. I'm going to be a part of that body. And I'm going to bring my gifts and everything I am. And I'm going to be faithful during the week. And I'm going to add it to them when they meet on Sundays. Okay, in the notes, there are a couple more principles that I've put there for discussion in your go groups, um, but for time purposes, I knew I wouldn't do them today, but they are in the, in the notes, so if you're wanting more, go and have a look in the notes, download them from the website. I'm wanting to round up the message this morning. Are you getting something? Are you? Yes. Um, I'm wanting to round up. Jesus said in um, John 4 that the Father is seeking worshipers who worship in spirit and in truth. Now, I don't know about you, but I would love the Father to seek me out. 
okay? And I want to be a worshiper who worships in spirit and in truth. And so I'm wanting to explore this a little bit more. What does it mean to be a worshiper who worships in spirit and in truth? John 4, verse 20 to 26, this is Jesus. He said, our fathers worshiped on this mountain. And you Jews say in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Oh, sorry, that's the Samaritan woman. Then Jesus says, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. Do you know who you worship? That's just a question. Do you know who you worship? You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvations of the Jews. And the hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So worship in spirit and truth. What, how can we unpack this well? Worship in spirit can mean a couple of things. The first thing is that worship in spirit can mean that worship is meant to be spiritual in nature. It's not about the externals. It's not about the buildings, the stained glass windows. It's not about the altars, the external forms. It's not about a specific holy place. It's a sincere action of the heart toward God, and therefore it can happen anywhere. Okay, all that is needed is a heart, a voice, a body, a life, and it can happen, okay? The second thing that worship in spirit can mean is that it, it's done in the Holy Spirit. It's done in the Holy Spirit. It's done from my spirit that's infused with the Holy Spirit. Um, I love what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14 verse 15. He says, what is the conclusion then? I will pray with the Spirit, and I will pray with understanding. I will sing in the Spirit, and I will sing with understanding. When we sing in the Spirit, we're singing spiritual songs. Maybe it's spiritual songs using our language, our home language. Maybe it's spiritual songs singing in tongues and other tongues. When you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, and Pastor Stewart did that earlier this morning when he was singing in tongues. So that can be worship in the Holy Spirit, okay? Worship in truth. So we've done worship in spirit. Worship in truth is quite self-evident. Worship in truth is worship that is without falsehood. It means that when I come to worship on Sunday, my worship that I give God does not contradict how I live my life Monday through Saturday, Okay, so it means that I wasn't out drinking alcohol last night, getting completely drunk, and I come to church and I worship on Sunday morning, because that'll be hypocritical, won't it? It means that I'm not sleeping with my boyfriend or my girlfriend or uh, employing other activities that are contrary to the Word of God and my lifestyle, my business, etc. Then I come on Sunday and I try to offer worship. That is not worship in truth. Worship in truth is worship that is offered without hypocrisy. It's not dumb, something that is done for show. It's not, it's not me doing something to show you, to show off to you. or to. No, it's between me and God and it's truthful. It's not just an outward form containing repetition of words, okay? It's true worship. It's in truth, okay? The second meaning of worship in truth that it, that it could uh, mean is according to the word of God, which is truth. So we see in the Old Testament that um, God was very specific about the form that worship took. So there were certain things and certain prescribed, there was an order to worship. It must look like this. It can't look like that. And we see when, you know, when um, they were, David was dancing and he was taking, moving the ark and the ark toppled and Uzzah put out his hand to steady the ark. And God, it says that God broke out against him and struck Uzzah down dead because he didn't use the prescribed order that was meant to happen around the ark and the presence of God. So there was an order. And in the New Testament, there's an order that we're supposed to take. How many of you know that Psalm 100 says, we enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise? Okay, that's an order. That's like how the protocol, it's how things should done. So should be done. So I don't come into his courts, Lord God, I just, you know, I'm just asking you, Lord, please, will you, would, you, would you break this heaviness off of me, this, this, this depression, and Lord, we don't have cash for this. Please, can you just do that? Now, there's nothing wrong with those prayers. But if I'm going to follow the prescribed order, I come with thanksgiving. Amen. I enter his gates with thanksgiving. I enter his courts with praise. There's a proper order. And the other order that that there is a New Testament worship is a Davidic order of worship. So in other words, it involves my whole being. It must involve lifting of the hands, the clapping of the hands, the bowing of the body, dancing, kneeling, all of these things, prostrating myself before God. And all of, all of these scriptures that I'm 
back this up are in the notes. So New Testament protocol, Davidic order of worship involves a singer with singing, instruments and music, sacrifice of thanksgiving, clapping to the Lord, shouts of joy, dancing before the Lord, the lifting of the hands, spiritual sacrifices. These are all biblical New Testament forms of worship, okay? So I encourage you to get the notes and explore that if you struggle with it, if you don't understand that or um, it's contrary to how you've, you've grown up in the church. The New Testament also describes different levels of singing. their psalms, their hymns, their spiritual songs. And um, these are all things that we need to incorporate in our acts of worship, in our corporate acts of worship. David continually refers to singing a new song, multiple scriptures. Um, Psalm 40, for example, says, He has put a new song in my mouth. Praise to our God. Many will see it and fear and put their trust in the Lord. And I loved what happened. I went to a conference quite recently and... um, they were trying, it was a prophetic conference, and they were trying to ignite the new song and spiritual songs in people. And the guy who was leading the meeting, he just said, you know what, if you feel like God has spoken to you from that particular psalm, Psalm 16, we were looking at Psalm 16, he said, if you've got a song from the Lord, come up and sing it. And he said, maybe it's a joyful noise. You don't have to be able to sing in tune. And people came up, and not one, I think not one of them could sang in tune their song. <laughs> they didn't. They just made a noise. But it was powerful. It was a new song. Each one of them had a new song. And so the the point that I'm making is that each one of us, no, mat- no matter our level, our vocal ability, God can give us a new song, psalms, hymns, new songs. Isaiah encouraged the singing of a new song. Worship in heaven involves the singing of a new song. And I've got all these scriptures in your notes. And we trying to, at the moment, we're trying to encourage the singing of the new song in our worship. Okay. So I've covered quite a bit of uh, stuff today to do with worship. One of the greatest hindrances to worshiping God, according to the New Testament order, what do you think it is? Yeah, sin, okay. But according to New Testament order, according to how God wants us to do it, it's our traditional concepts of reverence and worship. See, all of us have these concepts in our mind, and sometimes they are contrary to the Word of God. And Jesus indicates that by our traditions, we can make the Word of God of no effect. And so we want to say, Lord, in our worship, yes, we want to have... um, You know, we want to be honest and integrous. Our worship during the week is reflected on Sundays. But also we want the pattern of our worship when we gather together, the pattern of our worship when we worship and sing songs. We want it to be according to Davidic order. And we find that in the word of God. Psalm 95, let us come to, uh, let us sing to the Lord. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. So shouting, these are all evidences of New Testament pattern of how we should worship. Um, if you look through some of the scriptures that I've got, there's dancing, there's, there's all sorts of things that we can employ as we worship God. And I want to encourage us that as we go through this message, as we think through this message, to say, Lord, if there's anything in my life that doesn't line up with what your word says, you know, can they give me grace to change and help me to line up with your protocol, with your pattern, with your expectations, with your desires? Because ultimately, it's God we worship. We don't do this for man, right? Okay, I'm not here for, primarily for you, although I am, I'm here for God. Amen. Okay, so conclusion. Our worship needs to be God-focused. It needs to be Christ-centered. It needs to involve elements of revelation and response because it's about a relationship with God. It's about my relationship with God. And it needs to be in accordance with His pattern. It needs to be in accordance with His preference. It needs to be in spirit and in truth. So it needs to be according, yes, according to the spirit and in spirit, but it also needs to be truthful. It needs to be a true reflection of where I'm at with the Lord during the week. It must be a lifestyle, okay? And I think in order to be an authentic worshiper, we need to love truth. We can't be say we want to be worshipers, but be apathetic about truths and things that God is speaking to us about um, in our lives in terms of how to live our lives and walking in obedience to Him. We have to love that and desire that and bring that into our worship. Amen. Okay, Um, I'd like us just to bow our heads, and I'm going to pray. Father, I just want to thank you for your word. Um, We love your word. We love learning from your word. And we've heard a lot this morning, Lord. There's a lot that 
We've heard about worship. We love you, Lord, and we want to be worshipers who worship in spirit and truth. We want to be those that you seek out. We want to be those who, when we gather on Sundays, you, our worship is beautiful and acceptable to you. It's not, you don't listen to it and it's a noise in your ears, an irritation, because our lifestyles are not in accordance with your word, are not in accordance with what you've said to us, because we're not living a lifestyle of worship. And just where you are, if one of those principles jumps out at you and you feel like, sure, I just, I'd need to repent of this and change my mind concerning that. If one of those principles jumps out at you, or if you want to make a commitment this morning to say, you know what, Lord, I want to be a worshiper who worships in spirit and truth. Why don't you just um, stand to your feet, because I'm going to pray for us. Just stand to your feet. Lord, one of those things jumps out at me, and I want to make a public declaration. This is before you and God. It's not for anyone else. Please keep your eyes closed. It's not for anyone else. Lord, there was one thing. You know that one thing that spoke to me. Or I want to make a commitment this morning. I want to be a worshiper who worships in spirit and truth. Thank you, Father. I thank you for these people who are standing. Thank you for your grace released this morning, my Father. Thank you for your grace released this morning to enable us to worship in spirit and truth. Thank you for your voice that has spoken to us. Right now, Lord, we turn from these things, from how we've seen these things that are not okay. We turn from them and we turn to you. And we say, help us to walk in this new commitment that we're making before you this morning. You make it between you and God. You make that commitment. And Father, those who are standing to say, Lord, I want to be a worshiper who worships in spirit and truth. I want my daily Monday through Saturday lifestyle to line up with your word, to line up with what I come and what I bring on Sundays and what I share and share with the rest of the community and worship. Father, I thank you for a grace to do that released right now. I thank you for mercy. We repent of these things that we've been doing, these ideas that we have been doing right. And I thank you for a new day. I just declare a new day of your people right now. Thank you for your cleansing. Thank you for a freedom. Thank you for new love, new peace bursting in people's heart right now. Father, I pray for an ability to hear your voice and your people like never before. For an ability to see your hand working, to see what you're wanting us to see. Father, I thank you for an ability released right now for us to have a sense of what you're saying so we can respond appropriately. So, Father, we thank you for your ministry this morning. Thank you for a word that has gone forth, that it will accomplish that which you sent it for. And we bless you this morning. Lord, we pray you'd bless this food to our bodies. In Jesus' name, you'd bless the hands that prepared it. And you'd bless our fellowship after the service. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.